Hello and welcome to the Science and or Fiction Podcast. I am Taylor Sloan. And I am Lucas Moore. Welcome to episode number four. Right off the top, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, uh, if you haven't already, please go to all of the social media avenues through which you can uh, see Sci and or Fi. We're on Twitter at Sci and or Fi, S-C-I-A-N-D-O-R-F-I. We are also on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash cyanderify, and we're also on YouTube. And uh, we'll be posting some content there very shortly. Also, please, 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 if you'd like listening to us as a traditional audio podcast, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, we are Science and or Fiction, and also on the Google Play Podcast Store. Now, when you go to those places, one thing you can do that would help us out tremendously is leave us a comment uh, or a rating that would be fantastic all right so i'm i'm actually uh let's see here science and or fiction we're actually not terribly easy to find on youtube yeah no that's that's something we need to work on we need to work we'll have on a, that we'll have a link in the uh in the show notes absolutely okay so we're going to start off with a little bit of follow up from last week um so last week we talked uh, extensively about the Scaparelli lander, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think uh, mispronouncing things is what we do. Sorry about that. We are very good at one thing. Not just one thing, but one thing in particular, and that is mispronouncing uh, European words. So, Scaparelli, and <laughs> uh, we're just going to stick with it for now. Right. So, I, we uh, we had had a few of the details wrong on the Scaparelli lander, um, but I will go through them very quickly right now. Um, so the the idea of Scaparelli is this uh, lander trying to land on Mars, and um, it had an accelerometer inside of it uh, to detect the attitude of the of the spacecraft, so the direction that the spacecraft is pointing in three dimensional space. And as it's falling through the atmosphere, it's wobbling a little bit to the left and to the right. You know, maybe a half degree to the left, a half degree to the right. And for whatever reason instead of uh, the software tracking it as an oscillation going between, say, you know, one degree and negative one degree and back to one degree, it just kept adding those numbers instead of uh, moving them back and forth between a negative and positive value. And eventually that accumulated to the point where it thought that it was nearly upside down. And so the, the attitude was over 90 degrees uh, with respect to the ground. And so when the, uh, the ground detecting radar kicked in, um, what it did was it uh, measured the distance to the ground, um, and then if you can imagine kind of a triangle underneath the lander, if the lander is at a particular angle with respect to the ground, the radar is kind of the uh, the long side of that triangle, and it did a little bit of trigonometry to find out how far it was actually off of the ground, and it used that uh, that accelerometer measured angle to do so. And if you take any number and you take the cosine of a uh, of a number that's above 90 degrees, you get a negative number. And that is why the spacecraft thought it was underground for a very brief moment. Um, right. And that's why the, uh, the engines turned off and everything deployed too early. Yep. And, uh, you know, the whole thing about that, um, I know, I personally... Um, I think we were just talking about physics. Uh, I, I scraped by just barely in high school physics. Uh, and uh, trigonometry and calculus didn't really do a whole lot better 
past. Uh, it's not that I don't like, you know, calculus, trigonometry, physics, things like that. It's just that uh, I was in high school. Um, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I it's it's not uh, it's not hard to criticize uh, literal rocket scientists. Uh, but you know, I have to ask myself, could I have designed something better to land on the surface of Mars? And the answer is resoundingly, absolutely not. Uh, yeah. and it seems like, you know, they continue to be, uh, learning what best they can about how to not do that in the future. And speaking of not doing things in the future, uh, I may have made a mistake that will hopefully not result in the withdrawal of my nerd card uh but uh tony tony troxel on twitter uh tweeted at us after the last episode came out and i made a barely but hopefully forgivable mistake i said that the episode of the next generation which featured both james Doohan and a dyson sphere was titled dyson sphere the actual title of the star trek the next generation episode was relics so to all of my Fellow truckers out there, um, accept my sincerest apologies. Uh, and to the late, great James Doohan, um, I'm giving all she's got, Captain. <laughs> you know, for that, you uh, you get your, your nerd card back. Perfect. Uh, we we re-accept you back into the community. Good. Fantastic. Um, and then uh, one more thing. Um, I... At the end of the last uh, episode, I think we we briefly mentioned that my name is Lucas Moore, and yet I don't have the Lucas Moore Twitter handle. Um, right. Somebody else has the Lucas Moore Twitter handle, and I had to throw in my middle initial. You um, are Lucas Seymour, and I am Taylor Sloan, not Taylor A. Sloan. Right. And I guess I probably should have checked to see if there is a Taylor A. Sloan on Twitter. Uh, but I am the real Taylor Sloan. Right. See, and So uh, here's the problem. Lucas is a relatively common name more is an incredibly common last name and put them put the two together and it's you know not unreasonable that somebody had uh, taken my name uh, or at least our shared name on twitter before me now this particular person has tweeted twice in the last uh eight years um so it's kind of a bummer that i don't have that but that's fine in most professional contexts my middle initial will be there anyway right and uh bucking right off uh lucas's uh, enthusiasm for his getting this name on Twitter, well, uh, which is to say complete lack of enthusiasm. I have decided to launch a campaign. Um, just to be clear, this is not a campaign to bully or harass or strong arm whoever this other Lucas is, but, uh, and, and in fact, really to do nothing in any sort of way in terms of trying to contact this gentleman to be perfectly clear, leave him alone, whoever he is. But I am going to personally attempt to get the at Lucas Moore Twitter handle uh, from this gentleman by having a rational, reasonable discussion with him, uh, if that is indeed possible, and uh, you know, see if we can work with Twitter to get you at Lucas Moore. I tried to come up with a clever hashtag name for this campaign. Uh, I have as of yet been able to do so follow at Cy and or Fi, uh, and at Taylor Sloan on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can't make it happen. We will try to not make it happen. I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that we're just going to see. All right. So I think that's all the follow up we have this week. Absolutely. All uh, right. So 
Lucas, Let's jump into our first topic. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a a, a film that came out, I believe. Maybe uh, some people have heard of it, uh, starring kind of a, a lesser known superhero, uh, and I, I believe it's the the DC universe. Uh, can you mm-hmm. kind of fill us mm-hmm. in on this? Yeah. So this uh, last week, this previous weekend, as of the date of this recording, um, the Wonder Woman came, movie came out um, into theaters, and this is the let's see fourth movie in what is becoming the dc cinema universe i'm not sure what we're calling it um started with man of steel a couple years ago uh then we had batman v superman we had uh suicide squad and now wonder woman uh thankfully the green lantern movie from several years ago is not included in that which was terrible i i think that there are a lot of ryan reynolds fangirls myself included uh, who are a little incensed at that. He makes a better Deadpool than he, he ever makes, did a Green Lantern. He does make a way better Deadpool. That was actually a very enjoyable movie, and I was not a huge Deadpool fan. Again, please don't harass me on Twitter, but I, I wasn't a huge Deadpool fan before that movie came out. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, back to Wonder Woman. Right, so Wonder Woman. Um, this is a movie that is the fourth entry in this franchise that I think many people think have um, maybe sub- movies um man of steel wasn't great um batman v superman wasn't great suicide squad was significantly less than great and so the fourth movie this wonder woman movie was maybe seemingly destined for not greatness um but without spoiling too much of the movie i actually really really enjoyed it um i would say that in the context of the the zack snyder era dc movies it was uh it was really really awesome um, right. And in the context of regular movies, uh, with the rest of the film uh, uh, history as as we know it, it was pretty good. Um, I'd give it like a seven. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. And I mean, I I, I uh, I'm not a huge DC fan as much as I am a Marvel fan. And I think we kind of talked about this. I mean, I, I like DC characters. I think you know they've made some great DC movies. And and one thing that you know I, I was pretty apprehensive because I saw. Uh, Man of Steel, I saw Batman v Superman, and, you know, Man of Steel was okay, Batman v Superman was eh. Suicide Squad was, you know, you were very kind. I think that the the word or the phrase that I would have chosen to describe Suicide Squad was something to the effect of objectively terrible. Terrible movie. Uh... For a lot there, of there was a lot of an attempt. They they tried really hard. Yeah, and you know they probably shouldn't have tried so at hard. All. Well, Ugh. I mean they could have made the and they could have made a good Suicide Squad movie. I'm sure uh, they seemingly willfully chose not to. And that all having <laughs> been to say, I think Wonder Woman is something that is one of the most fantastic superheroes and. You know, I think we're we're living in a time right now that is very important in changing nerd culture, because and just culture in general, because we're starting to see films come out where women are the lead characters; they are the hero. Um, you know, obviously, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, uh, Rogue One, two big examples that come to my mind as a Star Wars nerd, and then. Wonder Woman in a, in a field that is incredibly crowded with male characters. Obviously, Marvel is pretty much male dominated. 
Um, and up to this point, there has not been a female lead character in a DC film aside from Harley Quinn and Suicide Squad. And, and that was not a good example of character development or a good character or anything that really anybody should look at and think, oh, that's, that's you know, re redemptive in any way. But Wonder Woman is is wonderful. I mean, it's it's something that I think a lot of us who are nerds, who are uh, feminists, who want to see this kind of depiction of women as heroes, uh, we want it. But man, maybe not in this universe because it's not made great movies. We want it to be a good movie too. And I, I'm very happy that so many people have loved Wonder Woman because it's, I, I wasn't even sure that I wanted to go see it before it came out and before it started getting, you know, re early reviews because I thought, man, this is just going to be rough, you know? Yeah, uh, there was there was definitely the capacity, I think, um for this movie to be rough. And uh given, you know, given the the fictional history of the character of Wonder Woman, um you know, an Amazon woman, um this person who comes from a tribe full of only women who are there to protect the planet. Um, she seems like a really good example of somebody who is strong and who grew up without, uh, in a world in which the only women were strong, uh, strong women. And I, I like the idea that someday, um, or more like, uh, there, there are young, young women, you know, somewhere between, you know, five and 10 years old who are growing up right now, um, watching TV, watching movies. And they have really, really awesome examples of women who are heroes. Uh, they have Rey. They have Wonder Woman. They have other options. Um, they aren't just looking at a sea of guys um, who are the heroes saving damsels in distress. They're like, you know what? Uh, maybe I could be the hero in my story. I don't think yeah. it's... It, it's not necessarily that uh, every hero should be a woman. Obviously not. Um, but for the vast majority of time, we've had every hero be a guy, and uh, having a having um, a female lead every once in a while is definitely uh, not a bad idea. Right, and I think one of the things that's really important is, yeah, like obviously, I mean, you know, unless you're in the context of the fictional world of Wonder Woman, where you know, not necessarily in this movie, but in that fictional world in that universe uh she comes from a world of only women but i mean there are you know lots of great movies that have been made recently and in the past where you have a female hero you have male heroes you have more female heroes and a male hero you know you have different ratios of male and female heroes but the important thing is is a balance of the character of those people. Um, and one thing I, I like to think about, you know, when it comes to, and obviously not necessarily in some ways, but the original Star Wars trilogy, definitely not the prequels, but the original Star Wars <laughs> trilogy depicts Princess Leia and kind of, I think, shatters a few of the paradigms of kind of the the fantastical you know, mythical, uh, wizards and, and, uh, castles, uh, mythology that Star Wars was built on in that 
you know, Princess Leia, you think, oh, well, she's going to be this fawning princess who needs to be this damsel in distress who gets rescued by the strapping young knight. And like five minutes into her rescue attempt, the the guys and the Wookiee have screwed everything up and she has to shoot a hole in the wall to get them into a garbage chute so they don't die at the hands of Imperial Stormtroopers five seconds after she's been rescued from her cell block. She <laughs> saves the day a few more times and does all of this incredible stuff throughout the course of the Star Wars trilogy. I mean, um, I love her first line when Luke walks in, she's like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper?" Right. Like, right. she's not like, Oh, my hero yeah. has come to rescue me. She's yeah. like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I think that that, that did that in a way that at the time when that movie came out, you know, in the late seventies and as the trilogy came out through the late or the early eighties, and this was still a pretty chauvinist society. And not that it isn't now, it definitely still is, but it was much more even then, you know, 40 years ago than it is now. Um, I think that they did it in sort of a soft way, kind of introducing the idea of turning that on its head. And I hope and believe that that's something that's kind of stuck through geek culture uh, from, you know, the original Star Wars film coming out. But you know, even all the way through to the end, the end, Return of the Jedi. I mean, there's there's always these examples of where you think, oh, well, they've made her into the damsel in distress, but then she ends up saving the day. I mean, there is probably uh, more to this than I think about, and and feel free on Twitter or wherever to tell me what I'm missing here because I'm sure that I'm missing something. But you know, I I, I talked about this. Um, Actually, this was something that I gave a speech about in my freshman uh, like public speaking class um, in college. Ooh, but what a venue! Yeah, no kidding, right? Uh, but it was the the sail barge, the pleasure barge scene in Return of the Jedi, where Leia is dressed in this, you know, the slave Leia outfit, the bikini, and she's made to serve Jabba the Hutt. But in the end, she ends up strangling Jabba the Hutt with the chain that she had been fettered to him with. I think there's some really like fun, cool symbology to that. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more to it than that, but I think that there are a lot of good things like that. And those are movies where there are male heroes too. I mean, Luke and Han are, are and Chewie are male. Well, I mean, Chewie's a male Wookiee. I don't know if that really crosses the same, uh, you know, paradigm, but I think that, those are good examples where she stands up to and stands toe to toe with the male heroes. And, you know, Rogue One, I think, is the same way, obviously, in, in The Force Awakens. And I, I'm sure we'll see that in the next two films with Rey. Uh, I think that's definitely true, too. Yeah, and I think we have to acknowledge here that, of course, we are we are two people who identify as guys. Yeah. We are, I mean, obviously, we have our implicit biases. We've grown up in a world in which, you know, men have kind of stolen the spotlight um and so what what we see you know when when, you, when we say you know Leia is a great female character in a movie uh in which there are tons and tons and tons of great male characters one example out of many is great but it's obviously not you know it's sure. it's not 50 50 and it's not even close so right there there are great examples uh and it's it's great to see uh, a trend line moving in the right direction even if we're not there yet Right, and I, I think, yeah, it definitely is a good idea to preface that and say, yeah, we are two uh, uh, Caucasian guys who identify as male uh, and, and are not uh, <laughs> really uh, very far down the privilege ladder in terms of the entire population of the rest of the world uh, from, 
you know the richest wealthiest men in the world in in so we we really don't have a whole lot uh of of ground to stand on as as far as having empathy for the issues that people who have been marginalized in culture whether that's women or people of color uh lgbt uh, qia plus people have experienced so it's always good to preface whenever we're talking about stuff like this to say that and also say uh we're probably saying something wrong and don't realize it because of where we're at in terms of having that privilege we're sorry we are trying we love you uh whoever you are and thank you for listening (laughs) and please don't think too harshly of us because of where we're maybe talking potentially uh from that position of privilege that all having been said you know, I, I think one I thought, thing, you know, you mentioned, obviously, Leia, in comparison to the rest of the cast of Star Wars, is the one woman, really, that, I mean, I would argue that Mon Mothma is quintessentially the most important Star Wars. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it, that is true, but it really stood out to us. To you, to me, mm-hmm. I think to a lot of other guys when we were kids and we watched Star Wars, Princess Leia really stood out to us and it taught us something. It taught us something as guys growing up in a patriarchy where it would have been very easy for us to go along with the kind of ideal guidelines, the set way of thinking about women in, in comparison to ourselves and it made us think differently. Even if it wasn't perfect, it definitely did something to us. So that's something I can say from that position of privilege is that, you know, if, if you're in a position where you don't have uh, as much or you've experienced more marginalization, it may not be easy to see that because you look and you see quantitatively there's this one woman. But to us guys, I think, who grew up in that patriarchic, privileged place, I really do believe, and I hope that a lot of other guys feel the same way, that that, it didn't obviously fix us, you know, uh, of all the the problems that we have from growing up in that. But I think it definitely changed the way that I think, at least I can just speak for myself. Yeah, one great example is a whole lot more than zero. Um, I think we're appreciative of that. Absolutely. And and this is not to say that these, you know... um, the, the feminist angle here isn't important. And I think that there's a lot of talk surrounding the Wonder Woman movie about this. But even if you take a step back, even if you, you sort of uh, distance yourself from the, the feminist argument here, I think I still think Wonder Woman is just a good movie. Yeah. Like, out of context, even. Um, it's it's really it's pretty good. Uh, I was, I, again, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I wasn't a fan of the... Um, the CG style, like the the fight scene style, which has been kind of uh, the same more or less throughout the Zack Snyder films. But uh, beyond that, I mean, just as a storytelling, um, you switch the characters out for any any gender, or any skin color, any whatever you want, and it's still a great story. Um, and it's it's really hard to tell a good story um, when you have uh, the kind of the pressure of a giant Hollywood movie, kind of. Uh, crushing down on you and the uh, the need to sort of revive this franchise that has been not doing as well as it probably could have right and i think that that at the end of the day is also it's pretty important i mean whatever statement 
they may want to make whoever you know whoever all was involved in making this movie which there are many many people involved in making a movie whatever statement they may want to try to make i think at the end of the day most people who are making a movie like this are just trying to make a movie that people are going to really love and enjoy going and seeing they're going to enjoy it they're going to go to it they're going to think that was a really good movie and then they're going to buy the blu-ray when it comes out or you know buy it on itunes or something like that um Mm -hmm. and i think that you know if you can create a really great movie and it has some subtext of something that's important in a political context or a social context or cultural context that's great too but you know if, if you make a really unenjoyable movie and try to accomplish those goals it just typically doesn't work as well yeah usually does the opposite it just makes people unhappy that you're trying to focus on things that and other than making a great movie right so you have to be a little bit sneaky with that stuff i think it's unfortunate maybe but also i want to enjoy a movie that i'm watching i don't think that that's unfair to say at all no Um, no matter what the movie's about and uh you know Certainly, I've enjoyed movies that are probably not necessarily politically correct, but understanding them in their context is important too. Right. They they did kind of mention uh, some somewhat overtly in the movie. Um, this isn't too much of a spoiler if you're worried. Um, it is set in around the time of the First World War, um, and specifically, there there are a few scenes in uh, in the UK. In let's see, was it the UK at that point? Was it just England? Was Great it... Britain? Great Britain, and... sure. And the not necessarily it was the it was just great britain i guess northern well ireland was also it was a separate but anyway here let's say it was mostly in london right so in london uh at that time um i'm not sure what the actual timeline was but at least this is what they were portraying in the film uh the idea of women's suffrage was around and there was um somebody mentioned that uh, somebody mentioned to uh, the title character to Wonder Woman. Why on earth would you fight in that uniform? We're trying to get the vote. Uh, why wouldn't you want people to respect us? And then she proceeds to try on a lot of different types of clothing that uh, she was confused as to how a woman could fight in these clothing. And uh, you know, not having um, grown up in the society, not realizing that women weren't expect to f- expected to fight. And she was just saying, you know, what what is <laughs> what is this? Why would I? Why would I not fight? I don't understand. Uh, and so it was cool from a historical standpoint. You know, I, I don't think I've seen many movies set in that uh, World War One era. Uh, and it was cool to see how, um, I don't know, how, how the uh, the feminist issues kind of were, were really starting to come out into the open at that point. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that was at the height of the suffragette movement in the... Uh, great britain in the u.s i mean the turn of the century into the 1910s and 1920s man that was that was really where a lot of modern feminism got started and certainly i think most people would say uh from an objective standpoint aesthetically it looks very differently than it does today and there are different approaches to that i think uh than existed back then but it's it's interesting yeah you don't see a whole lot of movies that really address that uh at least you know movies where that is not the plot of the movie or that is not the context of the story of the movie is the suffrage movement but just as a ancillary aspect of the history of the time that the movie is set 
So mm-hmm. I like and I said, was... I, haven't, I haven't actually seen the movie yet. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing it. I think that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um one uh one interesting part uh that I thought about um there there's a there's a scene in the trenches, of course, because this is World War One mm. and you have to be in the trenches. And uh at one point um the uh there is something going on on the other side. Um we find out I'm I'm trying to Sorry for the pauses. I'm trying to find out how to say this without giving away too much. Um, there is a reason why we must cross into the other side, into the German lines. And there is uh, our, our our hero not knowing how um, trench warfare works in the First World War, uh, climbs out of the trench and just starts running towards the other side. And uh, everybody tries to hold, uh, is yelling at her, and she's not really paying attention. She has to go fight the injustice. And, of course... There's uh there's gunfire that goes towards her and what does she do? She pulls up her uh her gauntlets her bra- what are they called the the, um, uh, the the bracelets of submission the bracelets of submission and starts deflecting bullets uh and there and there's shrapnel flying everywhere and she's protecting herself with her with her bracelets and that of course allows that she draws their fire and allows the rest of our team to get across um but. I came across this interesting article, and, and now we're going to start talking about the science of this here. Uh, this article in Wired, um, which talks a little bit about uh, somebody did some math on the physics of bullets and uh, Wonder Woman's bracelets. Right. So this is really fascinating that somebody. I mean, it, these little things that you know you you come up with, and maybe this person that uh, that wrote this, Rhett, Rhett Elaine, uh, wrote this for Wired that. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you and I both have had plenty of conversations about something and we start scratching stuff down on a cocktail napkin and trying to figure out what exactly, you know, the answer is. But this is <laughs> this is an interesting thing of what does the uh, force of deflecting a bullet with gauntlets on your arms actually look like? So Rhett goes into uh, the, the physics of it and uh, it's it's really fascinating. So it's based on and as i said i haven't actually seen the movie so what's happening i'm assuming because i haven't seen it is the bullets are deflecting off they're pinging off they're not hitting it and stopping they're not crumpling into it they're you know bouncing off of it Um, right the uh the i think the these the kind of magical abilities of this material that her, her bracelets are made out of it's not such that it's stopping the bullets it's not incinerating the bullets it's it's simply making the bullet collision completely elastic uh it's right. a, it's a completely uh, perfectly reflected off of her of her gauntlets her bracelets right. so the interesting thing about this is you think about like a handgun bullet for example which um i think you know kind of in the beginning of this it talks about a single bullet um i think the first calculation he did was the bullet with a mass of 4.2 grams uh and a speed of 965 meters per second which I think that's roughly somewhere between the size of an average handgun uh, bullet, cartridge bullet, and rifle cartridge bullet. Um, so he he works this out uh, to get a momentum change of 8.1 uh, kilograms times meter squared. That's the, the momentum change. Uh, and... 
that's really not that much. So he figures uh, that her mass is roughly 50 kilograms or about yeah, probably about 110 pounds, I think. Um, and that uh, the recoil velocity would be uh, about 0.162 meters per second or 0.36 miles per hour. It's actually super slow. Uh, and so he figured if she's on ice or on a perfectly frictive material, uh, would do very, very little to push her backward to compensate for that momentum change. But right, where it gets so, interesting uh, is in talking about what it would take to deflect a round or multiple rounds, 500 rounds per minute, let's say, uh, or one round every 0.12 seconds from a machine gun. And that, that's, it turns out to not be a, a trivial amount. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, if you go through the math again, uh, use that time interval, which you said, you know, 0.12 seconds or 500 of these machine gun rounds per second, which are machine guns, fire rifle cartridge rounds or larger rifle cartridge rounds. Like, um, the machine guns that the U S for example, used in, or that the Germans used in world war two fired, I think it was a 7.92 millimeter bullet. So that's the diameter of the bullet at its widest. Um, but he figures out with that time interval, that amount of rounds, you get an average force of 67.5 newtons. So not necessarily a huge amount at the end of the day, but that's not a trivial amount. No, uh, and, that's He says in, his, an artic, uh, in this article that it's about the experience of having a small dog sitting on you. Um, but if you're on a, a frictive material, that's going to push you back quite a bit. Or probably for somebody like me, if I got hit with that much force in 0.12 seconds, just think if somebody threw a small dog at you, it would, it would probably knock me down. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I weigh, uh, we'll say, 100 kilograms. Yeah, sure, a little more than 50. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, that's the... I love I love back of the napkin type calculations like this. Mm -hmm. uh, there there are a lot of things when in in physics where if you're trying to just get a rough estimate of of where things are, of uh, a lot of times you don't care so much about um, the numbers uh, as far as you know you know fifty newtons versus sixty newtons is not that big of a difference. You're more looking for the difference between fifty newtons and five hundred and five thousand. Right, right. And so Those these sort of back of the Right, so these order of magnitude calculations, these back of the envelope calculations, are are fun to do um, because they can give you a rough idea, um, and and to let you know if uh, if an accurate measurement is even necessary. Right. Um, if you can get within an order an order of magnitude on every single one of your estimations, and it turns out to be uh, to be a number that is meaningless in context, mm -hmm. either it's so huge it doesn't matter, or it's so small it doesn't matter. Um, then you can you can just say, well, it's probably not worth making this calculation. But here, uh, because this is actually a, a quantity of force that's sort of you know within the realm of human possibility, it's actually sort of interesting to see where the exact number falls. Right, and I think that last but not least, the one thing that he calculates because again, I haven't seen the movie. I'm assuming you know, uh, kind of in the same way that like you know a Jedi swings their lightsaber to deflect a blaster bolt. Well, blaster bolts, if you actually watch the movie, don't travel that fast, but bullets do. And assuming that these are, you know, real bullets 
Uh, obviously, it's not because it's a movie. But assuming that they were, um, the reaction time that would be required, this is the fascinating thing, the reaction time that would be required to put your arm up to deflect that bullet, knowing that it was coming at you, uh, is is definitely not trivial. Um, so the travel time of that he figured out to to kind of come to this amount of energy and time that would be necessary uh, to do this would be about 160 milliseconds, uh, which is an incredible reaction time for anybody to anything. Uh, I can't react to anything in 160 milliseconds except for <laughs> my motor neurons uh, twitching um, to make something happen like normal, but that's just a reaction to... <laughs> you know, a sensory neuron through the, the, my, you know, spinal nerve pathways to, it's not something that I can cognizantly do, but this is really incredible in, in blocking this bullet to accelerate her hand to the given speed, but then stop it would have to happen in 43 milliseconds. So I, I just did some calculations here. Um, if she had to move her arm by about 25 centimeters or so, which is, you know, about a foot maybe, yeah. um, give or take, in that, in that uh, what, 43 milliseconds, mm -hmm. her, her arm is moving on at an average speed of about 581 meters per second, which is, oh, let's see, uh, speed of sound is about 343 milliseconds, so we're talking, you know, about 1.7 times the speed of, uh, you know, Mach 1.7, basically, that her arm is moving. Right. So this is obvious. She, she's a superhero. This is what superheroes right. do. They 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 move it past the speed of sound. It's kind of par for the course. Uh, but they this <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the fact that there aren't sonic booms happening all over the place means that maybe we have our math wrong. Obviously, right. And not just in terms of the speed, which you know they talk about Superman being faster than a speeding bullet. Well, Wonder Woman actually proves it. At least that her arm is faster than a speeding bullet. And considerably stronger uh, because he did the force calculation on this, which is to say that she was moving the hand a distance of one meter. So I'm assuming the hand was out at her side and then she pulled her hand in like across with her arm across her chest or something like that so that it would travel about a meter. Uh, and saying that her wrist hand forearm mass is about 1.5 kilograms, which I would actually argue that is probably a little bit more than that. I would say yeah, that the average that 50 kilogram person, their wrist, their hand, their forearm, well, I guess maybe not if their upper arm's not included. So, well, yeah, 1.5 kilograms, but he comes up to uh, the hand would achieve an average velocity of 23.3 meters per second and a maximum speed of 46.6 meters per second and the power behind that the actual amount of kinetic energy is 76,000 watts which <laughs> as he states here comes out to about 100 horsepower uh which is about <laughs> as much as is in an economy car as it states you know this is your this is your Honda Civic that you had in college, uh, and that amount of power is in Wonder Woman's arm. Yeah, it looks like my math is different than this person's math, and I'm going to trust theirs because I'm just doing this on the fly. Um, but, yeah, 100 horsepower in your arm, um, thats that sounds about like what, uh, what I would expect out of Wonder Woman. 
yeah yeah no that's that's uh that seems actually pretty reasonable for my expectation of a superhero's brute strength i think 100 horsepower is right in the normal arm strength zone um would not want to arm wrestle her just throwing that out there would not end well for me no diana would uh, would kick your butt yeah i mean in in more many more ways than just probably snapping my arm like a twig <laughs> oh yeah um so anyway this uh whether we're talking about the, like the science of this movie or the well speculative science of this movie or yeah, I don't know, just the, the overall um, value of the movie in general. I think it was a, a pretty good film. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, and Taylor doesn't include you, uh, I would suggest that you go see it. Um, regardless of your perspective, um, I think it's worth seeing, uh, especially if you have um, uh, if you, if you have young daughters. Uh, this is probably a great movie to see eventually, depending on their, their ability to handle... Uh, different types of movies um there's obviously some violence um it's not gory at all but there's there's violence and maybe that doesn't uh sit well with you um but it's a good uh it's a good movie it's a, she's a great role model she's strong and she's uh she doesn't back down mm-hmm. yeah and and i think um you know if you're the kind of person that spends any amount of time on the internet uh you may see this and depending on who you follow on social media and things like this you may see this more often than not, but I follow some people who do um, things like cosplay at conventions, uh, who are, you know, people the kind of people that would set up booths for things at conventions, whether they're retailers or just people who run different things. Um, and obviously kind of nerd celebrities, uh, people like Adam Savage, uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, some kind of famous convention type people. And I think one of the things that I've seen a lot of as con season is kind of going through this summer is there is a lot of little girls dressed as Ray dressed as wonder woman in, in cosplay. And I think that that is such a cool thing that these girls can have these role models to look up to in, in fiction, uh, the way that I certainly was never want to have good role models. Lucas, was you know i think you would probably yeah. say the same thing oh yeah um and i think that that's fantastic and i love seeing you know these little girls and and women and and men too quite honestly uh who are taking these uh female characters as role models and portraying them in cosplay creating art around them um and I, yeah i think it's really awesome I think Wonder Woman, I'm glad that it was a good, enjoyable movie. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it, probably, hopefully, this weekend. And, uh, yeah, I think overall it's good. It inspires us to have good female role model and think of some science stuff, which is another great thing. Anything that gives us an opportunity to make science kind of fun is awesome (laughs) in my book. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, do we have time to talk about a second thing, or do we want to wrap this up? We've been I going think. For uh, I think there. I will. I will tease this. We'll tease this. There are a couple things we're probably going to be posting on the uh, the website uh, here this week. But one thing: how many of you? This is the podcast listening audience at home. How many of you have been cutting onions and just 
eyes watering. It's just the worst thing in the world when you're cutting onions and, and, and you just can't make it not happen and you feel embarrassed because everybody's looking at you and you looks like you're crying and it's just it's just not fun. Well, we don't have a solution for that, but Lucas Moore is hopefully uh, sometime this week going to go into a little bit of a detail uh, and explain, as he is an organic chemist, uh, the chemistry behind why cutting onions makes you cry. You can look for that on our website, which is scienceandorfiction.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We are facebook.com forward slash sciandorfi and twitter.com forward slash sciandorfi or at sciandorfi on Twitter. Uh, you can also search vigorously for us on YouTube, and I will post multiple social media links. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. While you're there, uh, take a listen and uh, leave us a comment, a review, a rating. Tell us how good we are. Uh, also, send us an email, scienceandorfiction at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. Send us your submissions, uh, and uh, we will uh, we'll get back to you. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear what you all have to say. I'd love to hear what you want us to talk about. The scientific process is really important for uh, peer review, and I'd love to hear something. So Absolutely. if you have anything to talk about, uh, send it our way. Good, bad, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I will send the science stuff along to Lucas probably, but any of the fiction stuff I will share equally between us, and uh, <laughs> we'll see. But I think for this week, for episode four of the Sci and or Five podcast, that'll be uh, about enough for today. I'm Taylor Sloan. And I'm Lucas Moore. We'll uh, talk to you next time.